Now, there's two kinds of people. There's those that make New Year's resolutions and those who don't. We're a week into the new year, and if you've made resolutions, maybe you're doing great, or maybe by now you've already given up. Now, the reason why people make resolutions is because they want to see a positive change in their life. Now, the resolutions that people make are usually because they want to lose weight or, or be more fit. Another reason is because they want to improve their finances, or, or a, a, another reason I read too is to improve mental health. Now, whether or not you've made New Year's resolutions, as a Christ follower, we should all be intentional with our decisions to grow closer to God. Instead of using the term resolutions this morning, I want to use the term healthy habits. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. And this morning, I'm going to talk about three healthy habits to help you grow in your relationship with God this year. The first healthy habit to help you grow in your relationship with God is to revel in the wonder of God's creation. Revel in the wonder of God's creation. Psalm 19, verse 1 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Science and culture, they look at the world and they try to give every possible explanation for creation except God. In the public schools, science teaches the crazy thing that everything comes from nothing. They say there was this big bang and all of a sudden everything just came into existence. I believe in a big bang, but a different one. I believe that God spoke and bang, everything appeared, right? All creation is pointing to a creator. Have you ever walked outside on a starry night and you just gazed up in the sky and you were just in awe of God and his creation? The stars are like a billboard that tells us that God is there every single day. Psalm 19.1 says, The heaven declares the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. And verse 2 goes on to talk about the night. And when the night comes up, the sun goes down and it becomes nighttime, we see the expanse of the stars and we see how great the universe is that God created. Verse 2 says, Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You know, we can't create a telescope big enough or we can't send spaceships far enough to explore the universe that God has created. Now, I can't understand why people can even say that that God doesn't exist. I believe it takes more faith to say that God doesn't exist and that everything came from nothing than to believe in a creator. One of my favorite proofs for the existence of God is intelligent design. 
Now, if you look at the earth, if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, what would happen? We would burn up, wouldn't we? And if we were a little bit further away from the sun, we would freeze to death. And think about our bodies that God gave us, right? It's just amazing that when we look at something with our eyes and how our eyes can perceive nothing, something and how our ears can hear beautiful music and, and think about all the, the systems in our bodies. You know, we have the digestive system, right? We have the nervous system and how our nerves run through our body. You know, we have our respiratory system. Just how amazing the bodies that God gave us that he created. All creation is pointing out that God does exist. As followers of Jesus Christ, we not only need to believe that God created everything, but we need to revel in the wonder of God's creation and tell God how amazing he is. I want to share with you a picture that helped me think of God's glory. Uh, The past two summers, I had the privilege of being on the Poland short-term missions team. And one early morning, I took this walk on this pathway and the way the light just came through the pine trees, it just showed me the awesome glory of God. And I just praised him for that moment that he gave me. I know that when we think about the, the amazing revelation of God, we usually think of oceans and mountains. But we live in the flatlands of Illinois, right? <laughs> but you know, even if you look outside we can thank God and, and praise God for his awesome creation. There's snow on the ground. And some of you may not like snow, but you've got to admit it's beautiful to see the snows and the trees and in the cornfields, isn't it? I want to encourage you this year for, to have one of your healthy habits to be to revel in the wonder of God's creation. We get so busy in life that we miss out on the beauty of God's creation. And, and let me encourage you maybe to every week take a 10 or 15 minute walk around your neighborhood and just revel in the wonder of God's creation in your neighborhood and just say, God, you are just so amazing. Maybe some of you can't really get out and take a walk. So a good suggestion is put a bird feeder in front of your windows. We have bird feeders in front of our windows and, and I try to capture a picture of a bird. And as I took the picture, instead of a bird, this is what I caught, a squirrel, Right? Even though it wasn't a bird, I could still say, God, you are amazing that you created squirrels that steal the bird food out of our bird feeder, right? (laughs) You know, God is an amazing God. The second um, healthy habit that I want you to challenge you to grow in your relationship with God is to refocus on God through his word. Refocus on God through his word. Look at verses 7 to 11 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. How can we know God? First of all, we can know first of all that he exists in his creation, but we can't know God personally unless he's given us his written, revealed word. I had the blessing of being able to ski with my kids this past Thursday. And if you've ever gone skiing, you know the way to get to the top of the 
ski slope is to use a chairlift, right? And so where we were skiing, there was a four-person chairlift, and I was skiing with my daughters, Evelyn and Penny, and, and this older gentleman comes up and he says, can I join you guys? I said, sure. So I find out his name is Stanley, and as we're riding up the chairlift, I, I noticed he had an accident, and so I asked, are you from around here? And he said, well, I'm from Chicago, but originally I moved here from Poland in 1983. So I went to the question, I was like, well, what's the religion of Poland? I, I knew what it was, and he said, well, Catholicism. And I said, well, are you a practicing Catholic? And he said, well, I do go to church. And then I went right to the heart, because I had a short time on this chairlift, right? I said, do you know for sure where you're going to go when you die? He's like, I try not to think about that. Well, I said, he said, I, but I do go to church, and I, re- I obey the Ten Commandments as best as I can. I said, Stanley, it's not about good works. It's not about going to church, obeying the Ten Commandments that gets us to heaven. I said, it's about believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, that his work on the cross paid for your sins fully, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to add to his work on the cross. And I said, Stanley, does that make sense? He said, yes, it does. And as we're getting off the chairlift, he said, you know, my goal is to read the Bible. And I share that with you because my hope and prayer is that Stanley comes to know the personal revealed word of God in in his word that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. We can't know God unless he's given us his written revealed word. Now in Psalm 19, the first six verses, they use, David, the, the psalmist, uses the word Elohim for the name of God, and that's God the creator, the powerful God. When he gets to verses 7 to 11, he uses a different name for God. He uses the name Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. This is talking about a personal God, that God is a personal God. God wants to know you and I personally through his word. Now, we just finished Jude this past fall, and Jude talked about clear faith in a blurry world. Every day, there are things that can take our eyes off Jesus, aren't there? And we can tend to lose focus, whether it's the stresses in life or just busyness or even sin. And if we're going to know God, we're going to need to know and read his word. If you look at verses 7 to 11, you can see how God's word not just brings about change, but brings about blessing through refocusing our lives on him. Now, there's three ways that God refocuses us through his word. The first way that God refocuses us through his word is it steers us in the right direction. Life is full of choices, isn't it? There's big choices and there's small choices. Big choices in life are like, what's my meaning and purpose in life? Who am I going to marry? What should I do for a job? But then there's smaller choices that we make every day. When we go to school, there's choices we make with our friends and and if we're going to do our homework or not do our homework. When we go to the work, what kind of employer am I going to be? How am I going to handle relationships? You know, with our families, we have to make decisions in how to parent or how to be a good child or sister or brother. We're making decisions all the time. Now, I don't have time to go into detail in every word in this psalm, but I want to highlight a few words that talk about how God's word steers us in the right direction. In verse 7, you see the words law and perfect and wise, and I want to talk about those words. Law is the word Torah, and it means to instruct, direct, and guide. It's the idea as if I was on a crooked path that God redeems me, and he steers me on a straight path. You see the word perfect. Perfect means the Bible is complete. 
that there's no error in the Bible, that it is perfect and it's complete and without error in historical fact or and spiritual truth. I want to read a quote from James Montgomery Boyce, and he says, perfect means this. Perfect means being so complete as to cover every aspect of life. It means that the Bible is not deficient in any way. It is an all-sufficient revelation. Therefore, no matter what our sins may have been or our problems are, the Bible is able to turn us from our sins, lead us through our problems, and both feed and enrich us so that we are able to enjoy the full benefits of spiritual life. Jesus testified to this when he told the devil, quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see from Psalm 19 that the word of God is not only perfect, but it's also sure, it's true, it's right. God's word can be trusted. And when we engage in God's word, we also see that we gain wisdom. Verse 7 says that God's word makes wise the simple. This means knowing how to apply truth to our lives. Verse 11 talks about how God's word warns us. It warns us of danger. It, what that means, it shines a light on our path and it, it shows us the danger of possible doubt or ignorance or potential sin. It warns us in those ways. I love Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word steers us in the right direction. The second way God refocuses us through his word is it strengthens us when we are weak. Have you ever felt zapped by life? I think we all have. And how many of us have experienced anxiety or stress or depression in it and we just feel like there's just no energy. But then we, we read a verse or someone shares a verse with us and it's amazing how that can give life to our spirit and our soul. In Psalm 19, 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. It mean, that means it restores life. That means it revives strength emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You see other words that shows giving us strength when we feel weak. In verse 8, it talks about rejoicing the heart and enlightening the eyes. As I shared, I had the privilege of serving in Poland this past summer, and I want to share with you a short video of, of a young lady named Luda. She is a 16-year-old Ukrainian girl, and she was weak, and she found strength in God's Word. So what is your name, and how old are you? I'm Rabuma, and I'm 16. Awesome. So Luda, uh, tell me what your life was like before you came to Canada. Before I came to camp, I think that in my life there's no any purpose. I don't like, I don't know why I'm living, and you know, it was like a little bit depressed and very sad. I just don't enjoy my life. So how has camp changed your life? So after Simari's speeches, I feel like God wants me to have a relationship with Him. So I just put my faith in Jesus and I start following. Awesome. So now, how do you feel after you put in your faith in Jesus? So right now I feel pretty good, like I feel that I don't need to worry about something in my life, like God just make it for me, and I feel that I knew what I should do right now, so it's awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Luda. We praise God for what he's done in Luda's life, right? You know, I messaged uh, Luda on January 1st, on New Year's Day, to ask her permission to show that video, and I have to 
read to you what she shared. I asked her how she was doing, and this is what she said. It just blows me away. She says, I've been doing pretty well lately, like from December 29th till today, New Year's Day. I was at a Christian conference meeting. It was so beautiful and amazing. God is a living God, and I am still impressed with his grace for people and his love for us. It is so amazing. Anyway, I'm still searching for a mentor in a good church. My goal for this year is to read the whole Bible and be more mature in the Christian way. By the way, next Sunday is a short-term missions team informational meeting. (laughs) So if you want to experience God in your life in that way, I want to encourage you to check it out. There's uh, trips to Alaska, Mexico, Uganda, and Poland. And on the following Sunday, the 21st, if you say, I want to serve maybe more locally, we have a men's prison ministry informational meeting during the third service. So come check those, those meetings out. The third way that God refocuses us through his word is he secures our hope for tomorrow. Now, I don't need to share with all of you all the political and global turmoil that's going on in the world. With all that going on, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty about tomorrow. But verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. Now, the Bible endures forever because God is eternal and his words are eternal. 1 Peter 1.25 says, The word of the Lord endures forever. I love that hymn that says, Because he lives... I can face tomorrow. Isn't that true? Verse 11 says that in keeping God's word, there is great reward. This also shows how there's hope for tomorrow because there is reward from not only obeying God's word today. If I obey God's word today, I don't have to deal with the guilt of sin or the consequences of sin, but there's also a future reward. One day we're going to be with Jesus in his presence and we'll get to experience the reward. Just of being with him is reward enough. But he's, Ephesians 1 says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I, I don't know all the depths of that means, but I can't wait just to do that, to give that back to him because he's worthy of all our glory. I want to ask you this, though. Are you in God's word? And if you're not in God's word, and I don't want to say it's the guilt tree, but hey, you know what? Today's a great day to start getting in God's word and reading God's word. You know, this, this past Wednesday, I, I had a blessing of, of just being blessed by some of our students. And uh, I see one of our students are here today. And there's two eighth grade girls who just started coming to our youth group this past uh, year. Uh, you see Gabby on the left and me on the right. And, and I haven't seen them in a few weeks because of Christmas break. And uh, they were just so excited. The first thing they really said to me this past Wednesday was that guess what? We're reading the Bible. And Gabby said that she's reading through Jeremiah and Mia. She's reading through Matthew. And then I, I had talked to both her moms. And then and I talked to Mia's mom. And, she, and uh, Gabby was at a sleepover. And, and when Mia's mom checked on them, she said, you know what? When I went in their room, they were reading the Bible. Isn't that awesome? Eighth grade girls that are reading the Bible. That's just a blessing to my heart. That same Wednesday, uh, I got a text earlier in the afternoon, and Kyle Duncan, who's a senior in high school, he said, hey, uh, Amara, is, is the church going to be open at 5 o'clock before youth group so myself and Ian and my friend Caleb can do a, a Bible study? So I said, absolutely, we'll be open. And uh, I asked them, I said, like, so how often do you do this? They said, well, besides Christmas break, we meet every week, and they're just finishing up the book of James. And I don't know if you can tell, but their Bibles are all highlighted and marked up and written in. 
they really studied and engaged God's word. It's, they're just such an encouragement to, to me of what it means to be in God's word. We praise God for that too. But you know, there's a difference in, from, from reading God's word, which we need to read God's word, but we also need to engage in God's word, right? Engaging God's word means that it's changing our life. We're meditating on it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want you to write this phrase down. Read until impact. Read until impact. There's times in my life where I've read the Bible and, and then I walked away and, and I couldn't remember what I've read, if we're honest, right? But reading until impact is to read God's word slowly, carefully, meditate and understand it so until we get something, a Bible verse, a phrase, something that we can walk away with, that we can think about throughout our day. I want to challenge you to do that this upcoming year. What is the Lord telling you today? to make sure that you are reading and engaging in God's word so that's a healthy habit in your life. The third healthy habit to help you grow in your relationship with God is to respond with God-honoring words and thoughts. Now the psalmist, he just finished talking in verses 7 to 11 about the awesomeness and the holiness and the purity and the cleanness of God's word. And so, which really is a reflection of God himself, right? That he's holy, pure, and clean. And when he sees it, the psalmist realizes, oh, my life is, is pretty messed up. I'm a sinful person. And he realizes that he has known sin, but he also realizes he has hidden sin that he, he's not even aware of. And he acknowledges that in verses 12 and 13. He says, who could discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. One of my favorite kings in the Bible is King Josiah. He became king when he was eight years old. Now, I don't know if you have an eight-year-old, but I don't know if you can imagine your eight-year-old son becoming king or president of our country, right? But Josiah... He was a good king. Second Kings 22 verse 2 says this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. As he was reigning, he got into his 18th year of reigning. He realized the temple of the Lord was in needed repair, so he sent people to repair the temple. And as the workers were repairing the temple, the priests, they found a book they found the law of the Lord that was missing, that hadn't been read in a long time. And the law of the Lord was brought to Josiah. And when Josiah heard the law of the Lord, he was broken and crushed and he tore his robe and that showed a sign of humility and brokenness for not only his sin, but the sin of Judah. You know, when we read God's word like Josiah and like the psalmist and you truly understand the holiness and perfection of God, we can't help but see our sinfulness. But the story doesn't end there for us, right? We have a Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and paid the price and washes away all our sins so that we're white as snow, just like outside. I want you to think about this. 
the psalmist was repentant. Repentant means to turn away from your sin and turn towards God. In your life, do you take light sin, sin lightly or are you truly repentant? Are you willing to turn away from your sin and turn towards God because out of gratitude of what Jesus did for us on the cross? That's what the psalmist did. Here's one thing that's really encouraging. No matter how many steps you take away from the cross, and you can take one step, two steps, a hundred steps away from the foot of the cross, you know how many steps it's back? It's just one step back, and it's repentance. After the psalmist talks about his repentant heart, he talks about how he wants to respond with God-honoring words and thoughts. In verse 14, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'll tell you, if there's one verse in the Bible that would be good for you to write out and put on your fridge and to memorize this year, it would be this verse, right? If we could only do this, if we could watch our words and our thoughts and make sure that they're pleasing to God, how that would just change our lives and change the lives of everybody around us. You know, our words are a barometer of really the condition of your heart. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are your words like? Are they kind, gentle, patient, compassionate? Or are they harsh? Do you swear, gossip, slander? Do you hurt others with your words? Are you building others up or are you tearing them down? Words are powerful. There's evidence that World War II was extended by a deadly three weeks due to an error in translating a single word. On July 25, 1945, Churchill, Truman, and Stalin issued the Potsdam Declaration, which stated that Japan had to surrender unconditionally or accept the consequences. The Japanese Imperial Council issued the statement of Mokusatsu. Mokusatsu can mean either we are considering it or we are ignoring it. Most Japanese understood that the reply to the surrender ultimatum had the first meeting, that we are considering it. However, the man who translated the word into English for the Domai News Agency used the word ignore instead of consider. Because the Japanese are a proud people, Instead of correcting the statement, they let the statement stand as is. On July 28, 1945, American newspapers printed stories saying the Japanese ignored the peace offer. On August 6, 1945, President Truman ordered an atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima where 92,000 people lost their lives. And three days later, 42,000 additional people lost their lives when the second atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. At the same time, because they thought that the Japan had ignored the peace offer, Russia declared war on Japan and invaded Manchuria, causing an additional loss of life. In the 20 days that followed the confusion about the word mokusatsu, more than 150,000 men, women, and children lost their lives because of one word that was misunderstood. Your words are powerful. Your words may not be the cause of an atomic bomb being dropped, but they do have the ability to build up or tear those down around us. And what about our thoughts? This is the meditation of our heart. Are your thoughts honoring Jesus? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that 
Transformation happens by the renewing of our mind. And I don't want you to miss out on the significance of the last phrase, the last verse. The psalmist David calls God my rock and my redeemer. It's so beautiful how God writes this psalm, right? He starts out with Elohim, God the creator, the powerful one, in verses 1 to 6. And then verses 7 to 11, we see God's name being Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And now David the psalmist gets real personal. He says, he's my rock and he's my redeemer. And can you say that God is your rock and your redeemer? Rock here, I can imagine David was thinking about the time was when he was fleeing Saul and he had to flee into the rock and crevices of the mountains for safety. But he isn't saying that the safety comes from the mountains, but he says it comes from his God, right? But then he calls God my redeemer. This is about a thousand years before Jesus came to the earth, so David's not thinking about Jesus, but he's just thinking that God has still redeemed him. But for us today, in 2023, we have the whole counsel of God's word, don't we? And we know the rest of the story, that when we hear my rock and my redeemer, we can know that Jesus is our redeemer.